The information in this podcast is not intended to be used as the primary basis of investment decisions. Any forward-looking statements are not guarantees of future performance and actual results may differ or other factors may change. Welcome to Making Sense, the podcast for anyone interested in diving into the investing and startup space, hosted by us, Emma and Luke. Hey everyone, Emma and I are interns at Red Thread Ventures, an investment and advisory firm based in Vancouver. From interviews to startup advice, we'll take you on our journey as we learn more about the finance industry. Our guest today is Dr. Mads Dugard. Mads is the co-founder, president, and chief scientific officer at biotech company Raquavina Therapeutics. Founded in 2020, Raquavina is striving to revolutionize cancer treatment and extend the lives of cancer patients. Not yet in any human clinical trials, they are developing medicines that selectively target and kill cancer cells using leading edge science that we'll discuss today with Mads. The therapeutics company has three research programs, the KT2000, 3000, and 4000, all of which are in the preclinical stage of drug development. Rakovina is currently being traded on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol, symbol RKV for 16 cents a share. This is my first time on the Making Sense podcast, but uh, I know we've been lucky to speak to Mads in the past. And uh, Emma, how'd that go? Yeah, so I previously sat down with Mads back in November 2021, and we talked about Rakovina and their research at the time. In that episode, we were more focused on um, Rakovina's uh, drug candidates that they were developing through the use of university partnerships with the University of British Columbia. Since then, I'm sure the company has had a lot of new innovation. And today's focus is on the two conferences that Rakovina has been invited to speak at in the coming months. On April 8th in New Orleans, he is attending the American Association for Cancer Research or AACR annual meeting which is the largest cancer research conference. Definitely very exciting for Mads and Rakovina. Following that, he's sharing an abstract highlighting Rakovina's KT3000 series at the AACR's special conference on sarcomas cancer in Montreal. And with that being said, let's get right into today's episode. Um, hi Mads, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well, how are you Emma? Yes, me as well. Um, so thank you for joining us on um, the second podcast that we're doing together. If you wouldn't mind just starting us off and introducing um, all of our listeners a little bit about yourself. Absolutely. Um, my name is Mass Dalgard, and I am the president and CSO of Rakovina Therapeutics. Uh, Rakovina Therapeutics develops uh, next generation DNA repair inhibitors for cancer treatment. Could you tell us a little bit more about like your role specifically in the company? Yes, my role is to uh, oversee the research and development for Rakovina Therapeutics. Um, all that work is being conducted at the University of British Columbia, uh, where I am also a professor and I am overseeing the work. Uh, on spot and in the laboratories of the university. So what does this work on spot really entail then? Well, it entails that uh, our R&D research team uh, that is engaged in the uh, development work for the uh, compounds in the company are working in uh, 
my laboratories under my oversight at the uh, University of British Columbia. Um, and this very tight connection uh, to academia uh, is actually a pretty uh, huge benefit for the company because uh, it gives us access to all the state-of-the-art technology and equipment that uh, is available in a university setting through core facilities and other research infrastructure. Um, if we did not have this opportunity, we would have to either set it up ourselves um, or uh, contract the work with partners. Interesting. Before you dive too, too deep in this, um, I know Rakovina has three different series that you guys are working on. And I was wondering just to set some foundation, if you could uh, go over each of the individual series, uh, what cancers are they addressing? And, and yeah, just a sort of quick summary uh, about those three projects that Rakovina has going on. Yes, absolutely. So as you say, we have three series uh, that we are working on. Um, we have the 2000 series, the 3000 series, and the 4000 series. And each series um, are, are designed to uh, have certain added capabilities to what is already out there uh, in terms of DNA repair inhibitors. Um, in the 2000 series, we uh, have specifically aimed to improve how these uh, drugs can uh, cross from blood circulation into the um, um, nervous system or the brain. It's, um, it's something that becomes very important in the context of uh, metastatic disease where you often see spread of a primary tumor to the brain. And because the the human body has this barrier between blood and brain for various reasons that is uh, normally uh, serving as a very uh, functional and very uh, good barrier. Um, in the context of treatment, um, it actually is an obstacle. So we wanna make these drugs easier penetrable into, into the brain. And for the 3000 series, we have combined two capabilities uh, that are normally found in two different uh, drugs, um, but we have combined it into one single molecule. And the two capabilities is on one hand, the ability to directly inhibit DNA repair. Uh, and on the other hand, uh, we can inhibit some of the um, other pathways and capabilities that cells need to facilitate DNA repair. So you are actually um, attacking uh, the whole DNA repair machinery from two different angles in the same molecule. And that's um, um, an attractive way to do it because um, if you are working with a single molecule instead of a combination between two different molecules. Then you can eliminate a lot of uh, clinical compl complication, uh, usually 
surrounded um, treatment regimes where you, where you take two different drugs and combine them in, in a treatment. And that is um, overlapping toxicity that you often see when you, when you put two drugs into patients. And also they, they, all drugs behave differently. So how long they stay in the blood and uh, how, how much exposure you actually get to the tumor will be different from drug to drug. But if you have it in the same molecule, you know what you're dealing with and it's much easier to find you. Very interesting. Um, I just wanna to switch the topic a little bit here. I know, I think in the coming days, you, you might be off on a flight to uh, a conference and I know you have another conference coming up. So I was hoping you could just explain those two conferences that you're attending. Uh, tell us a little bit about them and uh, why, why it's important for Rakovina to attend these conferences. Yes, um, Rakovina um, has a very clear strategy on how we wanna um, present data and publish uh, data uh, that is generated on our series uh, and, and make that in information available to our investors. Um, and that is through these peer-reviewed scientific conferences. Um, we, we like that vehicle because our research and development activities are peer-reviewed um, by uh, colleagues in the field when they are accepted for presentation into those conferences. Um, and that kind of uh, validates um, our work um, by, by, by our peers. And uh, also it's, it's a good way to, for, for us to get feedback uh, during those conferences from, uh, from our peers that, that actually have expertise in the field. Um, for the two upcoming conferences that Rakovina will be participate in, um, they are actually both um, American Association for Cancer Research conferences, so what we call AACR. Um, the annual meeting is, is just about to kick off in uh, New Orleans, and Rakovina will be presenting uh, data at that meeting uh, related to the 4000 series that we are yet to talk about. And um, just a little bit later in May, um, we will present data at the ACR Sarcoma Conference um, with the KT3000 series that we think will have a, a special, uh, special role for, for sarcoma types of tumors. Well, I'm excited about the special um, type of role, but um, before we dive into that, do you think you could just give... Um, a little bit going back, could you give a little bit of an overview of this um, 4000 series and how you're going to be presenting it at this first AACR conference? Yes, uh, the 4000 series, um, as with the 3000 series, is actually also a combination drug that uh, can do two things at the same time. Um, so it can inhibit DNA repair on one hand, on the other hand, it can actually induce DNA damage that needs to be repaired. So the idea behind this type of molecule is that you actually create the mayhem that, that needs to be repaired in the tumor in the same molecule. Um, and we think that that is an attractive strategy uh, moving forward because 
there has been quite a few um, indications from both preclinical work, but also combination studies in the clinic, where you have combined these two treatments sequentially with some benefit. Interesting. If you don't mind explaining just a little bit more, if you're inhibiting the repair while simultaneously inducing the damage, how are these cells going to become healthy again if they're not able to? Like, I know these are the sick cells that can't regenerate, but yeah. is it affecting yeah. the healthy cells as well? We are not trying to make the tumor cells healthy. Okay. We are trying to kill them. Okay. So what happens is that if a tumor cell cannot repair its DNA, then it will go into um, basically a cellular suicide, a programmed cell death that we often call apoptosis in our field. Um, and and that's, that's what a program in all cells where they can be either triggered by other cells or they can choose from internal mechanisms inside a single cell to go into a suicide mode. Um, then the question becomes, well, will this affect the cells around the tumor that are healthy? Um, and it will to some extent. Um, but what is unique about cancer cells is that they proliferate a lot more than our normal cells. And um, so it means that, that the DNA damage you induce in this molecule will mainly target only proliferating cells. So you have a selectivity built in to the treatment where specifically dividing cells and proliferating cells will be sensitive to this. Um, and that's the whole concept behind this molecule. And in principle, the concept behind standard chemotherapy as well. That's very interesting. Um, are these molecules that you're developing, are they able to treat different types of tumors in all different types of cancers or are they tailored towards specific types of cancers? Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, usually until now, the DNA repair inhibitors has been deployed mainly in cancers where you find mutations or defects in the endogenous DNA repair system. But if you combine these uh, you know, uh, different uh, ways of inhibiting the entire process of DNA repair, as we are trying to do with the, with the 3000 series, then we think that you will be able to overcome that um, requirement and potentially deploy these treatments beyond uh, where the current DNA repair treatments are, are deployed. Um, and it will be um, in solid tumors. So it, when I say solid tumors, I, I'm referring to uh, basically all cancers that uh, you know, start out as a solid tumor, but has the potential to metastasize. Are there other companies who are using a similar two-part approach then, or is this just specific to Racavina? To my knowledge, we are the first company uh, that takes this approach um, and our series of molecules will, will be uh, first in class when they eventually go into the clinic. Now you mentioned, I guess, the, the first, uh, Racarina is the first to do this. Is um, 
there anything that compares to to a, like a similar therapy? And if so, uh, has that been successful? Or, or what other science have other companies used that's similar uh, in respect to what Racovina is doing? Yeah, so uh, DNA repair inhibition has been around for quite a few years um, uh, by now. Um, there are actually four um, four treatments of four different drugs that are approved by the FDA and also Health Canada um, for treatment of these types of tumors that have defects in the DNA repair machinery. Um, there has been a lot of, you know, um, in sentiment and tests over the past years for trying to see if you can deploy those inhibitors outside that space where you have uh, mutations and defects in your DNA repair machinery. That has so far not been very successful. And that is why um, most of these uh, companies that, that produce these types of drugs here, they uh, are testing combination treatments where they combine it with another drug um, in, in the treatment regime. So, you know, there, there, are, there are indications out there that certain combinations of capabilities will have a benefit for many cancer patients. But just how to fine tune that and, and how to, to obtain that result, that's a whole different question. And uh, what Rakovina is doing is, is, is one way to address this. Very interesting. And I guess that's why it's so important to present these findings at these um, conferences. Um, you, you said you were going to two of these recent uh, in the upcoming future, in the near future. What is the difference between these two conferences? Um, the difference uh, is mainly the focus. Um, the, uh, the first conference here, the annual meeting for Asia meeting is um, a, a very big meeting that encompasses all types of cancers, uh, all types of drugs, um, and uh, all types of basic preclinical research as well as clinical research. Um, the second conference is uh, very specifically targeted uh, the type of cancer that we call sarcoma. So it's a type of cancer that occurs in our connective tissue and many of the sarcomas are um, uh, cancers that are uh, childhood cancers. Um, for example, Ewing sarcoma, which is one of the sarcoma types that we are very interested in for various reasons. Um, that is a cancer that uh, is mainly found in children and in young adults. Um, and if you have a spread of Ewing sarcoma, your probability of survival is, uh, is around five to 10% uh, over the next five years. So, so there's a, a strong clinical need mm -hmm. in, in that specific indication uh, to, to find new treatment opportunities. Mm -hmm. And this was the conference you said you were especially excited about um, going into the, um, this next little while. Um, do you mind telling me a little bit more about this abstract that you're going to be presenting at the sarcoma conference? Yes, um, we are going to present uh, data on um, 
a few selective compounds from the KT3000 series that has the ability to inhibit uh, a DNA repair enzyme called PARP. And at the same time, it can inhibit a, in, an enzyme that is called HDAC or histone deacetylase. Um, and inhibiting those two enzymes at the same time has a quite profound effect on urine sarcoma cells. Um, that is interesting, uh, of course, because of that, but it's also interesting because um, the PARP inhibitors have actually been tried in Ewing sarcoma patients before. And um, it was not like they were uh, toxic. It was not like they didn't work at all, but they didn't work as good as you had anticipated in, in that trial. And that is probably because Ewing sarcoma are usually not very uh, mutated in their DNA repair systems. So they have mostly intact DNA repair. So it's, it's a type of cancer where you would need something else coming in to inhibit that system at the same time. And that's uh, where the combination with HDAC inhibitors uh, makes sense. Also because there's uh, plenty of scientific literature and preclinical work available out there that actually uh, highlights the potential of HDAC inhibitors in Ewing sarcoma. Um, so, so both kind of moieties that we are combining into a single drug formulation has been tested in Ewing sarcoma one by one. Um, that's why we are we are excited about this. What did, what exactly are uh, PARP inhibitors and HDAC inhibitors? Yes, uh, so PARP inhibitors um, inhibit an enzyme called PARP one uh, and PARP two. There are actually two two forms of the enzyme, um, and those enzymes are involved in the proximal recognition of DNA damage and require to actually activate the DNA repair pathway. So if you inhibit those enzymes, then you will see quite significantly truncate the ability of the cells to, to repair its damaged DNA. And most cancer cells will have damaged DNA uh, all the time because they proliferate a lot and um, they have mutations and they have oncogenes that you know, drives proliferation of cells um, that uh, when they divide makes errors to their DNA. It's what we call replication stress. And when that happens, they have to swiftly repair that DNA. So if you inhibit that process, then you will force the cells into apoptosis if they cannot repair. So, so that's the whole idea behind the POP inhibitors. Um, the, the area where the POP inhibitors work the best is in tumor indications where other 
forms of DNA repair is not functioning well. So if you have these mutations or defects in, in other areas of the DNA repair machinery, then you have this very, very strong effect of the PARP inhibitors. If you don't have those defects, then the effect is less because then the cell will still be able to repair damage through all the pathways. Um, so you would either have to um, inhibit the entire kind of, you know, DNA repair ecosystem, or you will have to induce so much DNA damage so you overwhelm the cells and just inhibiting POP will be enough. That's basically the two options you have. Um, and that's what we are addressing in, in, in the KT3000 and in the 4000 series. Right. Um, I know we dove into PARP inhibition more, but do you think you could um, just backtrack a little bit and talk more about the H-stack um, enzyme and what it's doing in the body? Yes. Um, H-stacks um, are enzymes that um, basically um, removes a small chemical moiety from proteins. And it's, um, it's a chemical moiety called an acetylation. Um, it's a secondary modification to proteins that has major functions in various aspects of the cell cycle and cell survival. Um, one of the areas where it's extremely important is in the phase where cells are proliferating. So where they are uh, basically doubling their, their DNA uh, into, into two full copies of the same DNA that they would need for the actual uh, separation into two new daughter cells. Um, and that phase where they replicate DNA is also the phase where you have most vulnerability to DNA damage. Um, so those two things goes hand in hand and are important in the same phase at the same time during the cell cycle uh, of these tumor cells. And the H-stack inhibitors um, basically inhibit a lot of different aspects of that system where the cells need to proliferate. Um, and if, if, you, if you remove these acetylations from these proteins involved in that process, then you will inhibit the ability of the cells to both grow and proliferate, but also to, to repair its DNA. Could hypothetically HDAC um, enzymes be used by themselves to treat this cancer? Um, so HDAC inhibitors uh, are also improved, uh, approved right now in the clinic as, as you know, monotherapies. Um, and they work quite well in, in several types of cancer. Um, they tend, however, to be uh, fairly toxic um, because they, they, their function, uh, you know, is not... Uh, specific to uh, a one single uh, pathway or enzymatic function. Um, they actually affect a lot of different things throughout the cell cycle 
um, and that's that's probably why you you tend to run into to at least some degree of dose limiting toxicity when you use these inhibitor uh, inhibitors as monotherapies. But if you can if you can combine a certain level of HDAG inhibitor activity into uh, a DNA repair scenario, then we believe that that the activity is is very useful, and we could create the synergy uh, that we are looking for. If there is um, so much like positive scientific research that you're seeing for this combination between PARP and HDAC inhibitors, um, why has no one else done anything along the lines? Well, that's a good question. Um, um, I think that um, it's probably um, mostly because it, it's complicated and um, it's easier to just combine two drugs or drug treatments, you know, molecule by molecule, either in a sequence or giving, given at the same time. Um, if, if that can be fine-tuned, um, that, that would probably get you, um, you know, in, the, in at least the same direction as we are going. And it, it, it's more straightforward to, to do it's you're working with already approved drugs uh, permission to combine and do clinical trials will be fairly straightforward with a new drug you need to basically start from scratch and you need to go through all the different phases of clinical testing um, so it's it's a longer process and um, and, and I think that's mainly mainly the reason why now, I know this is probably all uh, obviously easier said than done, and I know you're probably dumbing it down a little bit for us, which I appreciate, given that I haven't uh, taken a science course for a long while. I'm wondering, what's the biggest challenge uh, you face day-to-day -day or in developing this drug with using these uh, types of inhibitors? What's so challenging about it? Um, the challenging thing about it is uh, really to select um, the right lead candidates uh, that needs to move into the clinic because um, the chemistry in these drugs uh, is um, very delicate. And, um, you know, the, the difference between a drug that works perfectly and a drug that, you know, has almost no effect at all could be like a very minor chemical uh, change in, in the molecule. And to some degree, you can predict that, but in the end, you will have to test it. And, you know, often you are surprised, uh, you know, uh, about those findings that you, that you do in that process and, um, um, you know, and, and what works and what doesn't work. And then you have to learn from that. Right, so you have to all the time take the, the molecules and the drugs that actually works well and see if you can improve it. Right. And when you reach this, the, the kind of situation where you're not really able to improve the drugs anymore, then you're there, then you're ready to go into the clinic.
And I guess where, where is Rakovina at right now in terms of learning and improving with the case? Well, I think I think we are uh, we are we are we are quite far. We are getting there. Um, we are down to few uh, drug selections and drug candidates uh, that we are working with. Um, we have uh, candidates that that basically checks all the boxes. Um, we also have some that that doesn't work and will not move forward. But but we have the the core chemistry in place uh, with the capabilities that we talked about. Very interesting. What does this innovation mean for cancer patients then? Well, hopefully quite a bit, um, because um, if we are able to move DNA repair uh, therapy outside the space where where you have defects in DNA repair systems in, in, your, in your cancer, then it will potentially open up uh, to deploy these types of drugs in, in, in any type of cancer. Um, uh, there will probably be uh, cancers where that doesn't work very well uh, for, for other reasons. That could be um, potential resistance mechanisms building up. It's very hard to predict, um, but, um, but my prediction would be that, that this would be something that could help a lot of cancer patients uh, in multiple different types of cancer. Makes a lot of sense. Is there today, if, if for those that have sarcoma cancer, is there anything, uh, any treatment of any sort available? Yes, um, I mean, if you have localized disease, um, your probability of survival is actually uh, pretty good. In Ewing sarcoma, it's, it's around 70% um, uh, probability of survival. Um, and uh, the treatments in Ewing sarcoma is mainly uh, radiation therapy and different types of uh, chemotherapy combinations. Um, that you, that you give the patients. However, if you have uh, spreading or metastatic disease, then most of the sarcomas becomes uh, incurable um, and very few people are alive after five years. I wanna ask uh, about side effects, but I'm gonna get to that in just one second. Um, I'm wondering, you mentioned you gotta start from square one with a new drug like this. What is the, uh, the process of starting from square one all the way to human trials look like and how many years uh, does that does that usually take, and what year are you guys at? Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's all good questions. Um, so the process is that um, when you have a lead compound that you think will be able to uh, go into the clinic, uh, then you will have to um, first of all make sure that it's not toxic. Uh, you do that in, in animal studies. Um, and usually you have to test the drug in, in two different species. Um, and usually it's, uh, it's uh, mice, rats, or dogs that you, that you test the drug in. And um, at that time, it's, it's mainly a toxicity test. You wanna make sure that the dose that you intend to give a human 
is below the toxic range in the animals. And that's uh, what you would usually take as your starting point um, when, you, when you go into human testing. And, and so you start fairly low in humans in what we call a, a phase one clinical trial. And then you escalate the dose uh, until you start to meet some level of discomfort or, or toxicity when you, when you measure the well-being of, of the patient. And then um, you have uh, found the uh, maximum tolerable dose in that instance. Um, so you will then usually go uh, below from that dose and, and that will be your phase two dose for uh, phase two clinical trial testing. Um, after the phase two trial, um, uh, which is an efficacy trial where you are looking at, at actually uh, effect of the drug uh, in a smaller setting, then you would have to um, do usually the phase three uh, trial that is a much, much larger setup and where you also have to benchmark against uh, currently available solutions uh, in the market. And if all that goes well, then you can file for approval with the Health Canada and FDA. Um, and, and your question is, uh, what's the timeline <laughs> in that? That, that really uh, depends a lot on, first of all, what kind of cancer you go into. If you go into a cancer where you have a lot of patients available at any time, then it can actually be fairly quick to move through uh, some of the phases in, in clinical testing. If you go into uh, an indication where you have very few patients, then you, your trial could actually uh, take years. Um, and, and that will of course delay um, uh, approval, but it will often also give you the ability to uh, cut some corners in terms of um, uh, what is required normally uh, for uh, being able to file for approval because you have mechanisms in place uh, that uh, allows uh, what we call orphan disease indications or orphan diseases to have uh, a special kind of uh, path that is faster uh, than, than, than other, uh, other diseases simply because there are so few patients. Uh, and if it's a deadly disease, then uh, the rationale is that, that it, the patients uh, will have more benefit for, for moving this forward uh, in, a, in a faster way. Right, no doubt very involved uh, process. Um, just a couple last questions here. I'm wondering, so I mentioned the side effects. Has Raquavina, if any, uh, seen any side effects with the KT3000 series? Um, yeah, as I said, we are in animals, um, and uh, so far we have not uh, observed any um, side effects that uh, makes us worry in, in our animal testing, um, which is, of course, uh, gratifying and um, exciting. Um, um, but, I mean, to be honest, uh, you, you never really know before you go into humans. Right. Well, congratulations. Um, Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, makes sense. Congrats, congrats though that uh, at least so far it sounds like it's going down the right path. But um, 
yeah, I guess we'll, we'll, we'll wrap it up a little bit here. I'm wondering where can people go to learn more about your abstracts, uh, maybe more about the, the conference presentations and uh, Rakovina's findings. Yeah, um, I mean, the abstracts will be available through the AECR platform, um, but they are uh, quite scientific uh, in, in language. So um, they will probably not be easily understood by, by lay persons. Um, so for the synopsis and more easily understood um, uh, language, um, it would be following our homepage and our posts on, uh, on social media where we uh, highlight uh, the findings that we actually present at the scientific conferences. Good to know. Awesome. And then is there anything else you'd like to add uh, just before we wrap this up? No, it has been a pleasure as always. I enjoy these uh, conversations here uh, and I hope it's, uh, it's useful and uh, exciting to you and your, your audience. Oh, definitely. This uh, definitely helps break down this confusing industry, really. And I hope that the listeners find this um, a way to help process and digest this information as well. Thank you everyone for tuning in to today's episode. We hope you enjoyed learning more about the biotech industry and Rakovina's drug development pipeline. Today we heard about the different drug series that Rakovina is developing, the KT2000, KT3000, and KT4000 series. These therapies attack tumors by inhibiting DNA repair while inducing damage through the use of PARP and HSTAC enzymes. We discussed how these therapies are proving to be especially effective at treating various types of sarcomas, notably Ewing sarcoma. Rakovina will be sharing their recent findings at two AACR conferences in order to validate their research and create excitement around their innovation in the cancer research space. For anyone curious to learn more about Rakovina, you can head over to their website at uh, rakovinatherapeutics.com or a quick Google search will do the same thing. To keep up with all things Red Thread, check out our website, follow our LinkedIn, or you can join our members-only Slack channel. Uh, we have also written a recent blog series called Debunking the Myths and Risks Surrounding Biotech Investing, and Rakovina was featured in this series uh, multiple times. I'll be linking all these resources in the episode description. To stay up to date with Making Sense, make sure you're following us on Spotify, YouTube, and, or, or wherever you stream your podcast. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you soon.